Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Lewis Martin, a business consultant at CM Industrial that specializes in recruitment for the smart building space. In this episode, I talk to Pasan Kale, who is the co-founder and chief executive officer at Rise Buildings. Rise Buildings are an exciting company that are innovating within the prop tech space, bringing to market a robust occupant experience and property operations platform that consolidates multiple software and hardware solutions into one fully integrated platform. With PropTech being such a hot topic in 2020, with continued innovation, adoption, and also investment across real estate and other verticals, I spoke to Prasan about why that is, how COVID-19 has played a part in that, prioritizing tech needs, whether that be from an owner, tenant, or occupant standpoint, and also diving into detail on Prasan's experience how Rise Buildings was formed, and his visions for their future expansion. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I did taking part in it. Here's our CM conversation with Rise Buildings. So first of all, to begin with, Prasan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Nice to be here, Lewis. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Yourself? Good. You know, another Monday. Is it a Monday? Is it a Tuesday? You can't tell these days. It's it's COVID, right? Every day is a Monday <laughs> or a Tuesday. It certainly feels that way. Um, I think for the the audience and, and this type of topic on the podcast, um, it'd be good to get your version of PropTech and, and your description of it to start off with. Sure. Yeah. You know, PropTech's a, a big word, right? There's a lot of elements to PropTech. Uh, whether it's on the the leasing side or it's on the lead generation aggregation side or it's uh, things that happen within the building operationally, uh, there's a whole you know uh, a, a kind of a movement around tenant experience, if you will, uh, and what what your tenants or occupants feel uh, when they're in your building. Uh, and then PropTech goes on to things that are uh, more business centric in nature, uh, financial modeling uh, or investor relations, even if you will, is in the PropTech arena. And then sometimes uh, people even expand the definition to, well, if I make you know movable furniture or a furniture, you know, piece of furniture with a button, you can call that prop tech now. Uh, so it's a really broad term, uh, you know, building automation and building systems and uh, control systems. I mean, these are all property technologies in some some way, shape, or form. Uh, I tend to look at prop tech, uh, at least my definition of it, as what happens inside the walls of a building, uh, and those things that make the building operate uh, more efficiently uh, or in a more convenient manner. Uh, and then those things that make the people that use the building uh, more attached to it. Um, uh, and whether that's via the convenience that it presents to them or the engagement that it causes for them, uh, it's really about the occupants, including the staff and management at that, at that building. Uh, and the, the underlying theme of that is that if you deliver quote unquote, the promise of prop tech, you should make the building more efficient operationally. You should engage your occupant population meaningfully. Uh, and that has direct implications, positive implications uh, to the underwriting around that, that asset, whether it's a office building, rental building, hotel, doesn't really matter. Yeah, you, you touched on it at the start there, uh, prop tech, very broad terminology, um, but it certainly, see, certainly seems anyway in 2020 and, and from your perspective, um, with Rise Buildings um, four or five years ago, that um, it has grown exponentially. Um, why do you think prop tech as a industry is, is such an exciting place to work in right now? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I, I think you know 
first of all, the industry at large, real estate at large, has has had this pent up innovation gap, right? Uh, the industry is the largest asset class in the entire world, uh, and and for the last 30, 50 years, uh, they've done things on paper and pen with very human intensive operations, uh, with relatively dumb systems that you know turn on the chiller, turn it off. Who cares what time of day it is? Um, you know, those are those are those are elements of how the industry has kind of stayed in the uh, in the Stone Age, if you will. It it really has. It's the it's one of the last asset classes to really start thinking about automation and evolution out of the the, the old way of doing things, right? Uh, and so I think that pent up innovation gap uh, really started to break loose uh, about ten years ago when people started to look at the industry. Uh, you know, circa even post the crash in two thousand eight nine where it became important to go, look, uh, you know, it's not just happy days. There, there's a massive crisis on our hands from a financial perspective, and real estate really is a financial asset. Um, how do we look at this asset a little differently than uh, paper and pen and inefficiencies, whether it's the system side or the staff side? Uh, how do we start looking at using great technology and, and data uh, to govern the operation of these buildings? Uh, because that will have a direct impact to our underwriting. So I think, you know, two things, the last 10 or so years, people have been looking at how do I make that underwriting different uh, using good technology, uh, whether that's saving OPEX dollars or making people in the building more efficient or engaged. Uh, the second piece of it is that it was just pent up innovation demand uh, that, that you know, I think we're just kind of all, I, I was in the industry for my whole career and we're just all kind of doing it the old fashioned way for a very, very long time. Uh, and now all of a sudden we've come to this awakening uh, that you have to evolve past that old way of doing things. Is it a case of language as well? Um, because naturally you have the operational team, so the facility managers, and then also the financial side of the business, the executive suite, perhaps both speaking different languages. Do you feel that um, with Rise Buildings and, and broader speaking with the industry, um, the communication barriers are, are being brought down a lot quicker? Yeah, I, th I think there's two elements to that. One, you know, you're, you're asking a great question there, which is, why is it that a maintenance team member doesn't understand the overall objective of that piece of, you know, building or asset or whatever you're, you're looking at it? Uh, and and you have to start with like, what is the overall? You know, why doesn't the concierge understand what the what the real estate owner or operator is trying to do? Right? <clears throat> why doesn't the leasing professional understand what the needs of the, you know, the financial outcome of the asset need to look like? it really starts with understanding like what is a piece of real estate it's a financial asset right it's not it's it's not um it's not a it's not a charity and it's not generally i mean there are charities uh that are in real estate uh, but generally speaking a, a building is really a financial asset that is geared to making some sort of healthy return on investment uh, and that's really where it should start right so when you look at it through that lens the second part of the the answer is that then how do you take that ultimate role or goal rather how do you take that goal of like look this is a financial outcome that we need to save money on operating expenses we need to keep people happy in the buildings so they stick around we need to make the property way more efficient than it that was yesterday if you if you can align people to those goals and some others uh, or rather tasks and those others then you start to align everybody in the building whether they're a maintenance team member or janitorial team member uh, or you, you know it's a staff member at a security desk or it's an occupant literally a tenant or a resident in a building uh, or a 
property management professional or a third-party contractor coming into the building. Doesn't matter who it is, the person that's occupying that building or that space in time, uh, if they can understand that goal of like, look, we got to make things more efficient, uh, they start doing it. I mean, people generally align with that goal. It's okay, right? And do it in a sustainable manner and do it in a, a, a kind of a, a human manner, of course. Uh, but how do you deliver that message? How do you bring that goal to their eyeballs every single day? It can't just be a poster in the elevator. Like that doesn't work, right? How do you bring that major goal of sustainability and economic you know, uh, feasibility and, and financial outcome in this asset to their hands every single day? And I believe the answer truly lies in, in the prop tech space, if you will, or in, in good technology deployed in buildings. If you can behaviorally change uh, people to do things that align with the ultimate um, outcome that you want out of the asset, uh, you know, good things happen for, the, for that real estate vehicle. Yeah, I think this is, this is going to be a topic from all podcasts that I, I do this year, um, COVID-19. Um, it certainly feels like the conversations that I have, um, whether it even be with MSIs from a building automation standpoint or um, tech platforms like Rise Buildings, um, it feels like there has almost been a, a call to action from um, decision makers from the boards to um, make decisions, whether it be for occupancy or um, even from a, um, a comfort perspective or even energy efficiency perspective. It feels like these decisions have been brought forward 12 to 18 months. Um, I guess the question is, what, why now? What, what's changed? Yeah, no, a, a great question. Let's go back to the goal, right? Yes. Uh, residential, commercial, you name it, hotels, whatever, it doesn't matter, airports, any building. The, the financial objective is like, we need people to reoccupy our buildings. We need people to re uh, the ability to use our amenities so they stick around in this residential building. Uh, we need people to go do what they do in buildings because at the end of the day, the goal is it's a financial asset and we need to make sure that people come back to these buildings. Now, the only way they're gonna come back to these buildings, whether they're office buildings or use some of the components of the resi buildings uh, or move back into the urban core in a resi building from mom and dad's house because they moved out uh, during, <laughs> during COVID, right? Uh, how are you gonna get them back? Well, you're gonna get them back only if you let them feel safe about coming back, right? If you truly deliver on the promise of like, hey, there's, there's safety here and you can come back and you, you, you're not gonna get COVID by walking into the building, right? That, that's really what it boils down to. So to, to deliver on the financial outcome, which is let's get people back to work or get them back to our residential buildings in the urban core, uh, you really have to give them not just a sense of, but you actually have to give them a metric of safety. So, I, and I think, you know, that's the that's been the call to action. It's like, hey, use technology to deliver that message and not just the message, to truly actually automate that safety element. So whether it's social distancing or it's the ability to see how busy an area is or the ability for tenants to see that, you know, this area was last sanitized, you know, two hours ago uh, or controlling capacity into certain areas like fitness rooms. Like, you know, you had a fitness room before or gym or whatever, uh, you used to allow a hundred people in there, or however many people you could fit in there. Well, now you can't have a hundred people in there. You can only have 10 to, to maintain social distancing. So it's one thing to be able to, you know, have an app for the building that says, you know, you can only sign up for 10 spots or something like that. Yeah, we do that. That's that's table stakes. But the other thing is to actually automate the opening or unlocking of the door to the gym, right? So it's not just good enough to have a clipboard that says, you know, you can only 
only be 10 people in here at a time. It has to go beyond that and actually control the access to that environment, right? So these are just layers. There's, there's lots of layers to this onion, uh, but these are just layers to, at the end of the day, giving people the right tools and technology is certainly a, a, a big, big tool in the war chest, if you will, uh, to allow them to not just feel safe, but actually be safe. Okay. Um, and let's talk about your your background um, and how Rise Buildings uh, was created, because you um, very very broad uh, background working for both conglomerates, um, slightly smaller businesses, and then essentially creating Rise Buildings. So talk me through, I guess, where it started for you and and the idea of essentially creating Rise Buildings and and this very well rounded platform. Yeah, um, you know, frankly, it started at its core when when I went to electrical and computer engineering in in Canada. You know, that that whole program taught me like look at the world and try to make it better, right? In some way, shape, or form, make it faster, smarter, economically stronger, whatever. All those things just make it better, right? That that's the core belief. Uh, and, and and I spent my entire career past that, not really in a traditional electrical and computer engineering role. I went right right into real estate, so on the construction management side. Uh, spent a lot of time on the development management side, so developed shiny high rises, put in those systems that we now talk to and integrate to and things like that, learned really how a building works from a system standpoint. Uh, and then right around 2008-9, when, when there was no development going on, uh, a company I worked for at the time was, was, was gracious enough to keep me employed and said, you know, go run our existing asset portfolio from an operations and, and capital standpoint. So I really learned the other side of the business, uh, literally in the doors of the building, what goes on day to day, how do the staff members and the managers and the residents and the office workers, how do they use the building systems that I put in, you know, a couple of years ago when I was building these buildings? And really a, a, a stitch together of those experiences, you know, constructing the buildings, developing the buildings from a financial and, uh, and system standpoint, and then operating those buildings really gave me all the insight to go, uh, frankly, I kept running into kind of the same brick wall, which was, I was trying to make things more efficient because I'm an engineer, that's what I do, right? And as I was trying to go make things more efficient, I kept running into the fact that, uh, you know, the promise that was being made to the real estate industry was was kind of narrow in nature. It was it was I, I call I call it a whack-a-mole approach all the time uh, because it was frankly, look, you got a package management problem. Let me solve that with a package management solution. You got a visitor management problem. Let me solve that with an intercom solution. Oh, you got room booking solution. You can't book your amenities. Let me stick a tablet on there. You got a you got a rent payment solution. Let me send you to a web portal to pay your rent. Oh, you want a community app? Let me give you this app for your building that people can talk to each other. Oh, you want to give your community some perks? Let me give you another web portal that you can go to to enjoy some perks from the building and so on and so forth. Every single one of those things that I described, and there's a whole lot more, there's about 45 different things that go on in a building, were being done by separate software and hardware vendors. And so when I was buying these products as a, as a, as a customer, I'm going, holy crap, when I add up all the nickels and dimes and dollars and cents of what each of these players are charging me to make my building more efficient, it's actually a lot of money, one. Two, my staff was going, my management team and staff at the buildings were going, what are you doing to us? How many more systems do you want me to log into in a day? And they were, and I, I was like, well, this can't be that hard. Let me come do it with you. And like, I got to take the tenant from here and I got to copy and paste it to over here in this other system that I forgot the password to and I can't log into anymore. And I got to copy that and I got to paste it into another system. Otherwise, those systems, they don't independently talk to each other. 
I said, okay, that's a real problem. But I was like, but it still must be making the building really efficient for you, right? The, the occupants must love all this great technology that we put in. They got visitor management, we got this, we got that. And they would turn around and tell me, and the occupants would, would, it would reflect in their surveys and stuff. They would say, we don't use any of it. And I was like, I was dumbfounded. It, it shocked me. I was like, wait a minute. We spent all this money, tried to do all these nice things, and nobody's using it. And that's where I, the, the light bulb went on, which is, look, it's not about like, it's not about just one, you know, kind of narrow approach, if you will. Uh, you can be really good at visitor management, but like if that's all you do, the staff is not going to use it and occupants aren't going to use it. And you can be really good at package management. You can really be good at, you know, reservation management, rent payment and community building and fitness and well, all these components of a building you can be really good at all of them individually, but nobody will use them as a whole, frankly, because residents and tenants don't want 18 apps on their phone for your building. What they want for your building is a remote control for their built environment, right? So, so really that was the genesis of RISE is that take every one of these narrow independent siloed solutions and build that technology from the ground up from scratch native to our platform. And when we do that and give people functional value on one system, those people use the crap out of it. They use it every single day. We see 95, 97, some buildings are 98% adopted on our platform in terms of user population. And then out of those 98%, 40% of them use it every single day for a minimum of 10 seconds a day, which these are phenomenal numbers. And that's engagement. That's real engagement. That, but that real engagement cannot come if you don't have really a remote control for your built environment, if you haven't given them the functional value. And, and also, it also made staff and management happy because they're like, I can literally operate the building from one clean screen. I don't have to ever log into yet another software. I don't have to go call yet another vendor. It is a one-stop shop uh, for everything that goes on in my building. Do you think the industry, uh, people within the industry should be thinking about, like yourselves, pri prioritizing tech needs um, from more of a holistic approach, not just from uh, building owners, but from tenants, occupants, from the, the, the whole aspect? Yeah, I, I really do think that, you know, there's this, there's kind of the, the reason the real estate industry, as we talked before, has been a bit of a, a laggard when it comes to technology is that they don't want to change it if it's not broken. And I get that. I agree with that approach. Uh, but on the flip side, I also say, look, what is the downside risk here? You, you went and spent, you know, $5,000 or $10,000 or 3,000 pounds or whatever on this technology initiative. If it doesn't work, that, and that, by the way, that's the cost for the whole year or whatever. If it doesn't work, it's not like you've massively changed the underwriting or valuation of the asset. We're talking about 0.00001% of your, you know, OPEX spend, right? And by the way, it's always recoverable, right? So, <laughs> so like, it's not even really OPEX spend uh, or it's not really spend out of an owner's pocket. And so, you know, when you when you look at the flip side of it and you go, look, you, you have to try something. You have to try it. You know, you fail forward, right? Entrepreneurs and technologists are always talking about, you know, fail forward, fail forward. Okay. I think real estate needs to fail forward. Like try it. And if it doesn't work, dump it and move on to the next solution. But before you go off and try something, make sure that the, that something is delivering actual ROI day one. It can't be, you know, I think, I think to answer that, to prioritize, like look for technologies or prop tech, if you will, out there in the space that gives you hard dollar ROI day one, right? So the way, the way Rise Buildings does, you know, you take those eight or nine things that I described earlier, those narrow focus solutions, when you, when you do that all natively in Rise, you save 50% or more 
uh, of your property's technology spend day one. So the subjective benefit, the more subjective benefit of like, well, if I have this great technology, then people are going to be impressed and more people are going to live here or work here uh, and they're going to be engaged and happy and all those things. The subjective benefits are all on the house at that point, right? So, so I think to answer your question, to prioritize things, really look at the hard dollar ROI first. Make sure that that is saving you money day one so you can't kick yourself a year later for, for trying something that you know, may have worked or was subjective or so on and so forth. Uh, and find the technology that that delivers on that subjective promise just the same. Yeah, and how how do you do that short term and long term? Because naturally, if you look on the building owner side, they may have a, a very short term strategy, um, a flips as you will. And um, when yeah. you look at technology, um, for example, old fashioned traditional systems, building automation, HVAC, they are um, for a long period of time, ten to fifteen years. So what what's the difference in strategy? Um, to um, to assist that. Yeah. So the the clear point, the clear differentiator, I guess, between an HVAC system um, or a, you know a, a new chiller on the roof or a new ductwork or new electrical or plumbing or this or that or a lobby renovation or a fitness center renovation or or throwing an amenity or a hard um, amenity, a physical amenity at a at a property is that those things are really capital intensive, right? So you're absolutely right. For an owner to think about whether they should upgrade the chiller system or put in uh, UV-based you know, light sanitization or whatever in, into their building, that's a really big pill to swallow. And unless that owner is planning on holding that asset for 30 or 50 or you know, forever type years, that, that just doesn't pencil. Most, most of the you know, real estate developers, owners uh, are really looking for a five to seven year you know, hold period. Uh, and, and so those capital projects are really difficult, especially if they get really pricey. Um, technology, on the other hand, is a little different, right? Especially when it comes to, in, in our world, the prop tech world, uh, that technology doesn't require a tremendous amount of capital outlay, right? Um, sure, there's hardware or enabling hardware. There's minor things that you do, but but we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking about thousands of dollars, right? It's a bit big difference from replacing or upgrading your HVAC system uh, versus putting in beacons and sensing solutions and intercoms and booking tablets and package management solutions. These are small dollars. So the, the benefit of that is that first, it's not as capital intensive, but second, it immediately reduces your operating expenses, right? And so for a five to seven year hold type owner, um, that's great because when they go to sell that building five years later, that's more that's more exit value for sure. There's a the cap, you know, whatever the savings are in the, in the resi building at a five cap or whatever it's trading for today, that's immediate value to that owner at exit. For the long-term holder, that's great too, because look, if they're saving money for 30 years, that's not a bad thing, right? It's, it's only going to help them clip the coupon, if you will, uh, on whatever rate or, you know, kind of minor return to, you know, really the, they're, they're really a core player then. And if they're a core asset holder, uh, it's really, they're, they're, they're trying to guarantee that minimum return on that asset. So saving operating expense is only going to help that, that cost. Sure. And Given Rise Buildings, one of your core focus is about tenant experience. Um, we discussed this before the podcast started, and I think it's a really good topic. But what, in your view, um, is most of the prop tech industry getting wrong when it comes to tenant experience? That's uh, that's that's a good one. I just had a, a a panel, if you will, exactly about that topic. I've written an article about it on on Forbes. I think there's a big uh, disconnect in the industry, and and I and I get I get why that why it would have happened. 
you know, a lot of marketing dollars have been spent uh, and there's a lot of well-funded kind of venture backed, um, you know, prop tech companies out there. Uh, and a lot of money has been spent in convincing the real estate owners, operators, and innovators within real estate. Like, hey, if you have an app for your building, things are going to be great. And, and your, your tenants are going to enjoy this app. Well, if that app has limited functional value, like if you just, for the sake of technology, throw an app at your building and say, hey, here's an app. It tells you where the front door of the building is. Well, I don't need to know that. I already know that. Or it tells you that there's a coffee shop downstairs. I already know that. Or it just tells you that there's a conference room in the building. I kind of knew that. It doesn't actually let you book the conference room or let you order or transact with that coffee shop or press a button to open that door, right? So there's no functional value. It's basically a website on steroids, right? It's a website that's an app that's like, hey, here's a bunch of links to things that you probably don't care about anyway, right? So who's going to use it? Nobody. So that that whole you know tenant experience uh, kind of dogma is is stemming from a bunch of marketing that was done to convince the real estate operators that will oh, buy this buy this crappy app for your building for a lot of money uh, and it's going to change the world for you well it doesn't because first of all nobody uses those apps right so like you'll see adoption rates when you just have a pure tenant experience app that's basically a a, a nice link farm um, you'll see 10 percent if you're lucky maybe 15 percent adoption and i'm talking about adoption not engagement right uh you won't see any of those 10 or 15% of the people that initially adopted ever use the app again. They'll adopt, they'll sign in, be like, well, oh, this is pretty cool. And they'll see that it's nothing. And that's it. They're not opening it up every day. They're not using it on a day-to-day -day basis. When you switch that and you look at, look at it from a functional first perspective, when you actually give them those functionalities, like, yeah, you can press a button and open a door. Yeah, you can pre-credential a visitor. Yeah, you can actually book that conference room and see exactly where it's located on your floor. Yeah, you can get smart alerts when you pass by a certain area. Yes, you can actually press a button and buy that cup of coffee, not just read more about it, right? When you give them functional and transactional value, you got a service request, you're not going to some yet another third-party solution. You're actually putting it in, in that native solution. When you really look at the world from a function first perspective, people that see that there's a depth of functionality, occupants that see that there's a depth of functionality, pick up the app, say, holy crap, this is amazing. I can actually open that door. I can actually book that conference room. So they adopt in, in much higher numbers. And I mentioned earlier, you know, we see adoption in our platform, 90, 95%. You know, the, the kind of the worst case is like, in an office building, it's like 75% through COVID. Uh, and so when you can really deliver functional value, people will adopt at a higher rate. And then the, the converse of that, or the flip of that, or the, the extension of that is, is that because they're adopted and because there's functional value, they'll use it every single day, every single day. And not just use it to like unlock a door, but to, to spend hang time in it, which is really important to the engagement piece of the puzzle. Uh, it's really important to owners and operators that people actually connect with that building's brand and they feel good about living or working in that building. Um, you know, we've got a great case study actually on our website uh, from there's one from old post office, which is here in Chicago. It's a JLL operated building uh, where we delivered exactly what we're what this topic is all about, uh, where we saw, you know, 50 percent savings plus on technology spend. We saw 80 percent adoption. And what's nice is out of the people that adopted right away, they're actually coming back and using it every single day. You know, the end result, the end game, if you will, which is what we're all after, is that all those occupants that use it every single day and the staff that's now more efficient with using this platform, um, it's saving money, it's keeping them engaged, which means 
for the owner or operator that they're going to stick around, right? There's a retention benefit, a subjective benefit, if you will, that comes after you deliver the functional benefit to them. Okay. Um, I, I'm, and when it comes to adoption, um, naturally, I, I know the benefits, you know the benefits. We discussed earlier on in the podcast about language. Um, do you see that being a, a key um, barrier when it comes to large-scale adoption with um, the real estate and, and your platform um, into whether it be residential or commercial properties? If not, then what others are you seeing? Yeah, and then let's break down language into kind of maybe three elements, right? One is the, the business language of real estate, right? So what a financier might consider, you know, a return, uh, a maintenance team member considers efficiency, right? So there's, there's a language differential between the different portions of the stack of real estate as it relates to the business. The second is there's a language differential internationally. What you call a work order in, in, in the UK, I might call a service request and so on and so forth. There's, there's nat natural kind of language colloquial, colloquial differences. So there's that. And then the third is, of course, there's, there's language language. I mean, it's literally like, which language is this app written on, right? Is it English? Is it French? Is it Portuguese? Is it, which is it, right? Now, the, the nice thing about that third piece is that if you have really good technology, you can localize that solution exactly to the language that is in that country or at user's option, right? So if you want to see the app in English, press a button and it's in English. If you want to see it in Mandarin Chinese, press a button and it's Mandarin Chinese. We've localized our platform to serve every single market in the world. And when we when we launch into a new market, like we just launched in, in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, just went live there a month ago, we can easily take their language library, which, which is, there's a service out there, you can get things translated, and load it into our platform, it localizes that app in about you know, two seconds, right? So, so that third part is actually relatively easy. I mean, it's hard work on the technical side, but but once you've done the hard work, it's actually very easy, and it makes the platform available to the international market in their form of language. Even in the U.S., you know, you have language diversity, right? So somebody might use the app in Spanish and or you know another language, and somebody might use it in English or might use it in French. Uh, so that even in the U.S., you have language diversity. In Canada, you have like language diversity in that third element. So I hope that answers the question on language. It's a, it's a broad topic. Uh, I tried to break it down into three chunks. No, that was great. Uh, and I think to follow on from that data, um, naturally, we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years with this really um, big innovation drive, um, data playing a huge part in day-to-day -day operations and return on investments. Um, how is data important for Rise Buildings and your platform, um, and how is it continuing to drive such high results for you? Yeah, um, you know, look, you can't you can't do good things unless you measure them, right? I mean, that's 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 the standard thing. It's like you can't you really don't know if you're, you're if you're if you're flying around in the dark, you don't know where you're going. So you got to have a compass, you got to have a goal. Then you got to measure whether you got to your destination or halfway there or three quarters of the way there. So data is extremely important to us. And, there, and there's kind of like two forms of data. There's the analytics component, which is, did you are you getting to your destination, right? And then there's the privacy and the, the kind of the user data, the CRM uh, side of the equation. So, so on the analytics portion, our platform generates a treasure trove of data, right? So down to start and stop times of things and the amount of visitors and rooms that were booked and amenities, which one got booked. Uh, but we have a, on that front, we have a patent on a uh, beacon technology, a USPTO, an international granted patent that, uh, that really uses our beacon technology to analyze how spaces were used and who has access 
to what things based on where they are, not just not just on Google Maps, kind of you know bird's eye view, but granularly inside the building, right down to the down to the meter. Uh, and so that data is really important because if you're an owner or operator and you've built a building and you put in three conference rooms and one's a large conference room and two are small conference rooms, you probably go, should I have built four small conference rooms or one large and two small? And so you can look at our platform data to see if you actually got it right. And then in your next capital project, you can go, oh, you know what? Everybody uses the two small conference rooms. Nobody's using the large conference rooms. And that's not coming from some subjective question that you ask the property manager, like, hey, people use the large conference room. And the property manager or the staff member goes, yeah, I think I saw somebody in there once. You know, I must be busy. No, no, use data, real data. Use real analytics and reporting to then inform your capital planning for that building, right? So, okay, put a wall in between and make it two small conference rooms so your tenants benefit from it. And they pay you to use it, by the way, right? So you make revenue off of it. Uh, and, and moreover, use that same data to inform what you do at that next building that you're about to go build or renovate or capitalize or, or what have you, right? So that analytical data on the day-to-day -day things that go on in a building, occupancy, work orders and the types of problems the building's happening, uh, ha having and, and the, the utility of everything, every platform feature that we offer, how's it being utilized? How many visitors are coming through? Those are, those are really important pieces of the puzzle for owners and operators to really get a good grasp on. Um, there's a lot of kind of big data uh, plays out there, right? Big data is awesome, uh, it's great. I mean, sure, put, a, put everything you know about everything in the world into a big data lake, and then ask yourself what the heck you're going to do with it, right? So big data is kind of, in my in my personal opinion, is kind of useless. It's meaningless. Uh, what I think is actually important is that to have actionable or insightful data that's direct and relevant to the topic at hand. So so that's that's that the uh, analytical and reporting piece of it. On the flip side, there's of course user data or CRM likes and dislikes of individuals and their demographic information and so on and so forth. Uh, in, in, there's a there's a treasure trove that that goes into our platform as it relates to that. You literally get to know in our platform whether someone likes books or movies or golf or this or that, and then you can curate the experience for that tenant or that occupant uh, based on that platform uh, metric. Now, the the one underlying theme is that we you know we've all grown up in in the world of the internet, and we've seen what's happened with data and privacy laws and uh, in the EU, for example, with GDPR and CCPA in Canada. We we expressly uh, care about people's privacy, right? So at no point does Rise ever own any of the data. At no point does Rise ever, uh, you know, send a spammy email to one of its users saying, "Hey, buy some car insurance" or something like that. Uh, at no point does Rise actually hold the data for our, you know, benefit. Of course, we process it, analyze it, do the platform things that it needs to do, but the client ultimately owns the entire. Uh, uh, food chain and the user owns the uh, actual uh, user data. So if the user wants to opt out of things or you know have our platform wipe everything that we know about them, it's a it's a simple email away. So uh, so we really care about that privacy element uh, across both those uh, data segments. Yeah, great insight there. Um, I think as we look to wrap things up, um, one final point I want to add is um, looking into the future. 2021 trends, what do you anticipate over the course of this year? Yeah, you know, I think if, um, you know, if, if like 2018 and 19, where we're all about uh, owners and operators kind of getting educated, you know, or starting to dip their toe in the water as it relates to property technology and how that can actually make things better 
Um, you know, a simple example, we, we were showing our, our clients, hey, look, you can see how busy a fitness center is before you go down there. We were showing them that a year and a half ago, right? And and it, and we're like, you should have this because it's convenient so I can see whether the treadmill's busy or not. And I can go down there, if, if you know, so that I don't go down there with my shorts on and go, oh, crap, there's too many people in here and turn around, right? So give them that convenience. So things that were being done for the sake of convenience in 2019 quickly turned into things that needed to be done for safety in 2020, right? Uh, because of COVID, obviously. So now you need to know how busy that fitness center is because there's a capacity issue, right? We can't have too many people in there. So in 2020, I think the industry went from dipping their toe from a convenience standpoint to dipping their entire foot uh, in the water, <laughs> if you will, and maybe, maybe knee deep uh, into, look, we have to have this technology to properly operate our buildings moving forward. Uh, because of safety. I think 2021 is going to be about and beyond is going to be about flexibility. So the major trend that we're seeing and, and, and certainly supporting with our technology is that the way we work, the way we live is going to change. It might not change completely, but it's, it's already changed a little bit. And in the new normal, even post-vaccine um, and post, uh, you know, kind of going back to normal, uh, there is going to be a, a bit of a change in terms of how people live or work. So the flexibility piece is going to be really the attention, um, you know, in 2021, it's going to get a lot of attention in my mind, uh, flexibility to work from anywhere or work sometimes from your office. So what does that mean from a technology standpoint? Well, that that means that you don't have a desk, but you need an app to book a flexible desk or a hotel, uh, desk hotel, if you will. Uh, or a conference room or a spec suite or a flexible office for the day, for the week, for the month. Uh, you need to have credits to be able to do that because you're an employee of ABC company. And I think those are some of the trends that are going to show up. Uh, same thing in the residential world, the flexibility to move about the country. So some of our clients already use our platform in this capacity where you know, you live in Chicago at a building, uh, but because of COVID, you don't have to live in Chicago anymore. But I, I do kind of want to check out San Fran or uh, Vegas or Miami, and and that owner operator has a, the a similar asset in, in that in that city. So with the app, they book you know for a month, they book that spec suite in their in their other asset and pack their bags and they go. And then the owner goes, well, I'm not going to you know charge you uh, kind of a breakup fee on your rent if you're just moving into a different asset that I own. And so that that kind of stuff is really going to be important in 2021 and and beyond. And plans for rise buildings because naturally you've had great success from organic growth perspective. Um, what do, do you have targets in place, or how do you see the year panning out? Yeah, I mean we're we're a very product led company. You know we we you know we didn't go out and raise a bunch of venture capital or this or that like. We really, it really was about the product. It really was about solving the problem that plagued the industry. And when we did that, and we did that right, um, you know, for our first few clients, uh, even in the beta uh, portion of our platform, uh, they really saw value. And and then they told their friends, and their friends told their friends. Literally, it was peer to peer kind of. Hey, this is the only platform that actually delivers on the promise of good prop tech. Um, so we've really grown organically, you know, almost a hundred different logos on, on the wall, over 300 buildings in five countries, um, without really any marketing, right? Which, I mean, literally didn't even have a, a great website until, I don't know, a month ago or something. You should check it out. Uh, it looks nice now. Um, <laughs> and so we really, really didn't spend the money on marketing. We spent the money on product 
and we spent the money on our people that can deliver the product, right? Because technology is good. That's fine. It's You can have the best technology in the world. If you don't have the people to implement it, sell it, service it, uh, develop around it and, and, and refine it, um, really that technology is going to go away, right? So uh, so we really spent our our money and our, our, our growth has been organic as a result of product-led sales. I think in 2021, you know, we'll, we'll do more marketing and that I think that's good. Uh, I think I think what's happened is our clients have realized that there are products that work and products that don't work, um, and they're making very large bets now in 2021 and standardizing. You know, if if a client was like, hey, I'm going to be in I'm going to be in five buildings with you as a as a pilot or whatever, they're turning around in 2021 going, here's 50 of my properties or all of them, uh, you know, go deploy this year because because they have trust now with us that when we say, yeah, we can get you live in 45 days or 90 days or what have you, we actually do, right? So uh, th- that's kind of what I have in store for 2021. You know, of course, everything uh, everything kind of goes as 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 the days go, go on, but uh, there's no crystal ball, but, uh, but I, I have a, a, a lot of confidence in 2021. I mean, we're gonna grow probably uh, 2X as a team. Uh, we're up to 60 people, a little over 60 people now, and uh, we'll probably grow to 2X that this year. Um, and so will the business, and so will uh, bringing our great product to to the market. That's what we care about. Well, it certainly sounds like an exciting time, and I wish you all the best for this year. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? No, likewise, it's been great chatting with you. Always good to connect and and talk all things uh, tech. Uh, you know, really appreciate you having me on. And uh, if any of your viewers have any questions or want to just yap about prop tech stuff, I. I'll always enjoy a good conversation. So thank you again for that. All right, Prasan, thanks for your time. Thank you. So there you go. I found both Prasan and Rise Buildings fascinating, especially how they're using their platform to add further value to both building owners and tenants. I'd like to thank Prasan for his time and his insight. With PropTech, I'll be looking forward to watching out for them in the future as this space continues to grow. If you'd like to listen, read or watch any more of my Smart Buildings content, go to searchingindustrial.com. For more podcasts like this about the markets Child Tomorrow serve, please subscribe to CM Conversations. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Lewis Martin. Bye for now.